Welcome to Sega Saturn Shiro, the only podcast that uplinks to the world. Tonight's Shiro's are Dave, Ben, Peter, and myself. And today we actually have a special guest, Jared from Project COE. How's it going tonight? Very, very well. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks for joining us. All right, so uh, before we begin, why don't we do some personal updates? Uh, Jared, you're more than welcome to uh, hop in with your personal update as well, if you'd like as well. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, follow your lead. Go for it. <laughs> All right, so I guess I'll I guess I'll start us off. So, uh, I guess one of the biggest things is that uh, uh, that we actually had some extended thoughts on the Satiator. I know we did the video on it, but I kind of had some I guess some post notes on that. So I kind of feel bad because I didn't realize that the firmware was technically a beta one, and that the product was still technically in some sort of beta when we did that. Because like apparently that's was the case because I said before that I like I didn't like the Fenrir because it was like in a beta phase, so and that is being sold as a product and I feel kind of hypocritical that I said I said the Satiator was really good in that regards when it technically is in a form of beta so I have to apologize for that a little miscalculation on my end and not realizing that but uh, yeah so yeah I mean basically so basically he ended up with a surplus of units after. After the all the Patreon supporters uh, got theirs and everybody everybody had theirs, he ended up with like over a thousand units available for sale, you know. And and so you know, logic, you know, his choice was basically: do I, you know, go ahead and advertise this as an extended beta, or just kind of say that they're ready for retail, you know? And I mean, I guess that that's where the confusion comes from because a lot of the way that it was shared and everything like this, it's up, you know, you can buy it now. It's open to the general public. So there's that idea that it's basically retail ready. The fact is it, it still is in beta. Um, and I mean, you know, he's not said anything otherwise, really, you know, it's always been like, it's, it's the firmware still in beta, the menu still being developed. It's open source, of course. So people can add to it and make it better. But, um, you know, really anyone who picked up on a satiator, um, you're still kind of like, you're still kind of early days. There are going to be many more available. Uh, and you know, hopefully by that time, a lot of these things that we're helping to kind of provide feedback will be kind of worked out. I know I can say for myself anecdotally that I've had quite a bit of trouble with mine, but even just yesterday, like I tried Nick's, I tried Nick's recommendation of, uh, you know, trying a different SD card. Um, the one thing that I noticed actually is that all my SD cards were formatted XFAT. Um, and I actually tried recently for, uh, reformatting to FAT32 and that seemed to fix it or, or make it more stable at least anecdotally until I, you know, until I find that there is something else with it. But, uh, but yeah, what about you guys? Yeah. I, I in terms of that, the only other issue I ran into was the, I actually was playing Castlevania the other day and had a audio skip, like it was skipping the audio and some of the, the background music, but I haven't updated my, my satiator. So maybe if I do that with a new update that came out, I might be able to fix that. So I'll come back. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of that, it's been smooth sailing for the most part with the satiator. Yeah, um, Abrasive just released firmware uh, 157, mm -hmm. um, which does take care of some of the audio issues. So it's like, I know Mel, Segalord X, he's doing, a, he's doing a review and every time a new firmware drops, he's like, okay, time to start over and re you know, replay all these games and take notes, you know? So it's yeah. like, uh, you know, it's just, you know, but, but that's a part of it, you know, like people need to be aware that it is still in beta. 
go join the discord. And then if you have any issues with it, just be sure to tell him right away because he's pretty much doing this as a full-time job and dealing with these things like every day. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest cruxes with making a video like that is that there's always going to be updates that makes a lot of stuff really out of date. So that I, that's why I tr we tried our best to keep it sort of more, I guess, evergreen because we knew it was going to update and change things. So uh, mm -hmm. hopefully it stays as evergreen as we can. But, you know, as all things, we'll see as the future moves up. But uh, in terms of that and the Satiator, the other thing I was working on is the is I participated in Nick's uh, virtual racing video that he just dropped, which is a hour long, hour long video, a uh, documentary on virtual racing, interviewing the guys behind it or some of the programmer behind it, and uh, talking a little bit about the game, and it was really interesting. I didn't see the full thing until he released it, so I thought it was really well done, and I really thought it was funny hearing my voice coming through his videos, because I'm used to just listening to them and hearing his voice, but hearing my voice, like, oh, well, that's, that's interesting, you know? But uh, besides that, and uh, adult things, and, you know, doing different cryptocurrency stuff, it's all good on my end. How about uh, How about you, Peter? Well, lately I seem to be obsessed with picking up different Saturn board revisions. And so I recently bought a Saturn unit that was built in uh, 1994. So it was one of the first units off the production line. Um, I'm still waiting for it to ship to me, but I'm kind of excited for it to come. It's a VA zero. It's a you know board revision zero, the very first board revision. And and for those of you that don't know, the Saturn board was revised several times as the years went on, and it ended up going all the way up to board revision fifteen by the time the very last units were produced in 1998. And there's, you know, various incremental differences with these boards, although ultimately functionality remains pretty much the same across all the different units. Anyways, so I have a bit of a fetish with picking up different Saturn board revisions, and so I'm probably going to go and try for at least one of each Saturn board revision. And, you know, there's nothing really special about that. It's just a way for me to sort of geek out. Um, on the gaming front, I've been playing through the English translation of Revolutionary Girl Utena, uh, story of the Someday Revolution. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's the first time I've actually played a visual novel slash dating sim, and it's certainly an interesting story. And, you know, the games got me interested enough that I started watching bits and pieces of the anime uh, upon which the game is based. And, um... You know, it's a very interesting genre that has, like, no representation at all in the West. We got no visual novels or dating sims, so uh, it's really interesting experience that a lot of people haven't had on the Saturn, and so it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, the last thing I want to mention is that I've kind of been looking, like... I've got a Japanese X-Band modem as well as a U.S. Netlink modem, um, but I've yet to take my Saturns online. So I think that this is something I'm going to have to work uh, on in 2021. And I want to pick up another couple of Saturn Netlink modems because I want to set up some phone line simulators and to be able to do some local, you know, like in the same room, head-to-head -head, uh, over Netlink uh, games such as Sega Rally or Duke Nukem or... Or even like virtual on. I mean, imagine two players going head to head in virtual on, each with their own screen and each with a pair of you know twin stick controllers. I think that would be rad. So, anyways, yeah, that's uh, that's about it uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, did you finish a uh, Revolution U10? Are you still working through it? 
Uh, and no, still uh, playing through it. I gotcha. Did you meet the one really nasty girl that really hates you for some reason? So you probably mean uh, Chigsaw, and I mean, yeah, I've met her. I'm not far enough in the game yet to really understand, like, her motivations and everything. And as far as I know, she wasn't even part, like, she wasn't in the uh, original anime. So anyways, as I keep playing, I'll sort of see where that weird relationship leads. Like, I there was actually, uh, not too long ago in the game, there was, uh, I needed to go shopping for some... Uh, school supplies or whatever and I wanted I had to pick who to go to market with shopping and I picked her and she was kind of cold and sort of I don't know not the friendliest uh, person to go shopping with so anyways um, but yeah other than that I'm still kind of working through the game I mean I'm just learning about um, uh, the duels and the rose bride and uh, you know why fencing is so important and you know why uh, Utena is such a you know, important character and so on. So, so yeah, still kind of working through it. Gotcha. I won't spoil anything for you in that case. I really need to watch the anime though. I played through the game on a, on a Shiro live stream. It should be on the YouTube page if anyone wants to watch it, but I go through the entire game and wow, it's uh, definitely different than I expected it to be is all I'm going to say. So, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see on that. Uh, but what about you, Mr. Dave? Um, for me, not much. Just um, the most major thing recently was just the uplink panel that we did with Tom Kalinske. That was uh, super fun, something that we kind of were prepping for for a while. Uh, we ran into a, a few little technical difficulties, but uh, on the whole, it was really enjoyable. And I mean, it was definitely an experience of a lifetime talking to Tom. Um, and I mean, we were, of course, super, super glad to be invited on by Jared Project COE, who's with us today. Just uh, just can't thank you enough for that opportunity. And it was definitely something that I'll remember, you know, um, and that that's really the biggest thing for me. Other than that, just streaming, you know, and then, you know, parenting and stuff, but nothing Gotta really dead. That, that could eclipse that, you know. Fair enough. All right. Uh, what about you, Ben? All right, so me, I've actually been doing a lot of uh, some like Switch and Nintendo pickups. Uh, so I've basically uh, picked up uh, some Everspace. I actually got to talk to the developers of this game uh, when I was at PAX East a couple of years back, and I'm heavily looking forward to Everspace 2. I got a chance to play that. It's a lot of fun. Um, I picked up Breath of the Wild, uh, and the reason I picked it up so late is I actually have this for the Wii U, and I've actually been playing it for that, but I've never had it for the Switch yet, so I picked that one up. So, And then the last one is uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris 2. And uh, so I haven't gotten much feedback on this one other than the fact that I like Puyo Puyo Tetris 1, I guess you would say. And uh, I'm kind of curious what they would do with the second one because the first one is so much fun to play. And I, I just can't wait to just take this on with uh, other people on the couch and see what we can do with it. Um, aside from that, uh, I did the Guardian Force stream, which got me wanting to play the arcade machine some more, and uh, I've been having a lot of fun with that. And uh, then we also did the uh, the experimental stream with me and Dave, and uh, where we were basically doing like some green screening and uh, trying that out to see how well that would work, and that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And so yeah, that's basically what's been going on on my end. Nice. Yeah, I actually got, just got Breath of the Wild on vinyl. They actually released a I used a quote-unquote bootleg version of it, and I picked that one up, and it was, it's pretty nice-sounding. I, I think I have it on my, my, my Instagram, on Trinoco, and on my Twitter. So if you guys want to check that out, just go there, and, and I'll probably post like a, a link to it in the chat. But it's really good. I like the soundtrack to Breath of the Wild, and I think it's probably one of my favorite uh, 
Favorite Switch games as of yet, right now. So yeah, definitely recommend picking that one up. Like, and I really want to try the ones that uh, that Ben recommended. Those look pretty fun. All right. So uh, what about uh, what about you, Jared? What have you been up to since we last talked at the panel? Not much. Not much at all. Uh, unfortunately, what I call real life uh, has. Uh, basically just been absolutely insane but like uh like dave said i think uh, our panel discussion with tom kalinsky that was that was a true highlight i haven't done much gaming in the last oh boy about a year ever since covid hit i've been absolutely just flooded and that's why my youtube channel's like pretty much dead now because i just haven't had a chance but um but that was worth it you know like that was that was really really worth it and i'm i'm so happy i got the opportunity to invite you guys uh, over to that and personally i think it was an absolute blast uh, but before we move on just wanted to say about peter cuz you mentioned about uh the netlink adapters and stuff like that i remember the first time i actually managed to get that up and running was probably around goodness probably like 10 15 years ago now um i don't even know if the netlink boards are still around but back in the day you used to go there it was just like a you know a really really simple message board and you used to just go there and you'd have like you know one or two people that were like the the most diehard of diehards and um anyways it's just that was a really surreal feeling after all those years to actually get that thing up and running and I mean, it's because it's peer to peer, you know, there's no lag, there's no nothing. It, it, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. So when you actually do get that up and running, that's a real surreal experience when you realize, you know, like you could have done this like 20 years ago or whatever. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's wild. I was telling Peter though, it's crazy when um, you get so good at like Sega rally, like vanilla Sega rally on a D pad. And then you fire up like Sega rally Netlink, which is tuned for the 3d control pad and um you start sucking really bad <laughs> because you're just like wait a second i'm yeah, not turning yeah. i'm not turning when i'm supposed to turn you know or like this isn't handling exactly as i you know you know was bragging that i was a pro about you know so like i was playing zyden on one of our streams you know and we're doing the over voip thing you know um mm-hmm. and it still works really well it, it works actually much more so today than than it did when when we were streaming it because they've made they've made advances uh with that uh, that whole thing but but yeah like some of those games are just tuned for the 3D analog pad because the 3D analog pad sends like continuous input and because it sends in- continuous input the space between packets you know is it, it's able to dis- it's able to discern more information than just a you know binary like d-pad input on or off or left or right you know so i guess that they i guess a lot of those games even uh virtual on are kind of tuned to use the the 3d analog pad as it sends data more frequently and so yeah uh that was one of those things where it was kind of hard for me to get used to when it comes to the netlink but yeah it's a lot of fun like you say Jared, have you have just out of curiosity, have you tried Shadows of the Tusk? Like, have you had you ever played that over Netlink? I will lie to you if I say yes or no. <laughs> I honestly, can't remember. Can't remember. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I I doubt it. I, I don't think so. But I, I don't know. I, I used to be so hardcore with this that it was. Uh, and I'll apologize in advance to anyone who happens to hear something in the background. My little kitty. But yeah, I used to be so hardcore with this, which we'll get into. And uh, yeah, absolutely. See why I don't remember some of this. 
All right, so why don't we go into the interview portion of the podcast, and we are talking with uh, Jared Nickel, a.k.a. Project COA. Um, so I guess I'll start off. What is your Saturn story? How did you really come to love the console? All right, well, um, my story, like just about, um, I'd say, most Saturn fans, starts uh, with the Sega Genesis. Uh, just was a hardcore Sega Genesis fan um, from you know the very beginning with the original model all the way through to, my goodness, it feels like they had 40 models, but um, I'd say like when Mortal Kombat hit, my brother and I became hardcore Sega fans. It's amazing what blood will do. And uh, yeah, so basically just became hardcore Sega fans from that point forward. I mean, we, we had a master system, had Game Gear and all that stuff, but we really, really became hard, hardcore Sega fans around the time when Mortal Kombat came out. We were still Nintendo fans. And I mean, even even Project COE as a, an entity actually stems from Nintendo, not from Sega, which is kind of funny. But, um, you know, just like so many people, you were picking up EGM and other magazines like that. And they were talking more and more about this next gen, next gen. And, um, yeah, so basically picked one up at launch. I have my launch model, still have it, still have the box, everything. Um, and I think I mentioned to you guys, I actually still have a few of, uh, different Saturn models over the year that are still sealed that never even open. And there's a whole story behind that, which we can get into. Um, but I, I basically, it was, that was around the time when I just started working. Uh, I think I started working a little bit before that generation began. So like I, I had quote unquote adult money, right? Like, so now sure. I, I could actually buy stuff and I was affiliated with a, a store we had here in Montreal called Microplay. And that got me access to more games than you could possibly imagine. So yeah. So basically I've been a Saturn fan since day one. Nice. So uh, what is your absolute favorite Saturn game and why did you come to love this game? <laughs> oh no, I knew you were going to do something like that. Okay. Yep. So um, I, this might be a little bit generic. Okay. But what, like I said, I just fell in love with the Saturn. Okay. That time period was also when I got hardcore into importing, like really, really hardcore. There was a point where, you know, um, playing something like um, X-Men versus Street Fighter, that was like an event here. And, and it's really hard to explain that because most people, uh, depending on the age, you didn't grow up with arcades. And I'm going to jump around here. I will get to your your question, but it's it's relevant. So I grew up as a kid, I grew up playing in the arcades. Like that was just what it was. When Street Fighter 2 hit the arcade scene, I mean, I still have Polaroid pictures. Yes, Polaroid pictures showing like just tons of teenagers like just waiting and like lineups going around the block just to get into the the local arcade just to play a couple of rounds. People don't know what that's like today. Like kids will never experience something like that. And it's kind of sad because there is no equivalent to that today. You know, like esports, sure, you've got your, your esports, but it's just, it's not, it's not the same. So anyways, uh, for the longest time, it really was, it was, and I still think it is, you know, like X-Men versus Street Fighter is probably my favorite Saturn game for 
like in the context of that competitive scene, playing with other people, but one-on-one, like just for me, single player, um, I'm going to do like the cheesy uh, sort of cop out here. Panzer Dragoon Saga blew my mind. That absolutely blew my mind. It's the story of why I say that, that I think is, uh, at least for me, okay? And guys, like, I don't know when you guys got into Saturn, okay? But if you were there day one, Mm -hmm. you know that, like, it was exciting, especially if you were an arcade fan, like I was. And that that was the whole thing of why you bought Sega consoles, was you didn't buy them for Final Fantasy VII. Like, that's just not what Sega was doing. And they were they were making arcade games like that. That was their whole raison d'être. Exactly. I mean, and that even extends like the Dreamcast too. I mean, I mean, there's only like a yeah. handful of those on there. Yeah, exactly. So, so picture this, right? 1998. By now, the industry has sort of moved on, right? So you've got, and when I say that, I mean like these single player or console games have really started to like take over. Arcades are now like slowly dying. And on the PlayStation, everyone's hyping up Metal Gear Solid. Like everybody. Everybody's mm-hmm. hyping this up. It's going to be like the, you know, the, the, the biggest thing since life spread. On the Nintendo 64, you got The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. That's it. And, uh, and on, on the Saturn, you have a, and then this is where I'd edit in a sound effect and be like, you know, pumping on the brakes. What's a Sega Saturn? And, and that was the reality that I lived was that I was really looking forward. I loved Panzer Dragoon. I, I, I love that series. And the idea of like turning that into an RPG was, was really exciting to me. Like that was really, really, really something. And yet I swear to you, I felt like the only guy in the world that gave a crap. Boy, do I know how that felt. Yeah. And it, it was just, it was the absolute worst so i think the fact that like i was the only one who seemed to care about it everyone in the world was going nuts over metal gear solid everyone's going nuts Mm -hmm. over ocarina of time and then here i am the biggest nerd going absolutely nuts over panzer dragoon saga when i finally got a chance to play it and it was it was just so surreal it was it was like wow this is actually here this is actually awesome and nobody knows absolutely it's like no you one. say what's your favorite game oh i've really been enjoying panzer dragoon saga and they give you like the squint look and they're like panzer what saga i totally relate to you jared <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about uh i mean i didn't i was not there day one i was like uh 96 uh Cr- christmas 96 was when i got in and i got in for nights but uh, uh well nights in daytona but uh i can relate to you because I used to go to this electronics boutique, which I think you guys have in, in Canada too, yeah. like EB Games. Yeah. yeah, it was electronics boutique in, in the mall for me. And they just, it was like they just had, you'd have to walk all the way to the back. And there was this paltry little wall of Saturn games. And it was really sparse. Basically, I was the only one buying them. So like they would deplete and disappear. And then there was nothing. They wouldn't restock this wall. So I'd keep going back to this store to look and it's like when a game like enemy zero would show up and that thing was heavy because it was like four discs. You felt like it was uh, you know, you felt like it was the idol in Indiana Jones. <laughs> You're just like, Oh, there's all these other games around here that, and, and I'm this weird kid that wants like enemy zero or Panzer Dragoon saga, you know, 
Uh, so I can relate to you because I do remember what that was like, you know. Uh, I, I think I remember that was that was a that was like a two order game here. Yeah, and you had like, to. That's it. Like there was no like even our EB games or equivalents <laughs> here. Like there was no Saturn like section by I'd say mid to late 1997. It was all gone. Mm-hmm. Everything was gone. Like yeah. the clearance sales had long happened, and 98 to even mention Saturn, mm-hmm. people were just like. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? And it didn't get any better with Dreamcast, to be honest with you, because I was the same kid going in there for Shenmue 2. <laughs> and the guy was like, you got to buy something else. You know, I'm not going to order this for you. You know, uh, it was it was crazy. Like, I bought the only copy of Shenmue 2 <laughs> that that store yeah. stocked. <laughs> but yeah. But hey, at least you got Shenmue 2, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I stupidly sold it. <laughs> that is a story no well my brother and i fired it up and we we're like wait a second it's just subbed and it's not i no, i did not get it back i wish i had i'm sorry but okay so panzer dragoon saga is not a cop-out i don't care i don't care how much it goes for today i got it for like 25 bucks on clearance at mm-hmm. toys r us and i think that was even more than it it ended up dropping down to like the bargain bin or something like that 2.99 you know? <laughs> something like that so i've heard some folks say I, they got it for like 10 bucks i'm like seriously now you're just bragging but um uh, I, I, I don't w- think I it's wish. a cop i don't think it's a cop out at all i think it's a great game and i think that if you were used to arcade games and that was kind of your cup of tea panzer dragon saga playing that game for the first time it's just completely different you know and it's it's a great game i had a blast playing it for the first time but um moving on i just wanted to ask you jared so we heard a, we heard about your Saturn story and your favorite game, and you mentioned a little bit about uh, owning a store or you know and having access to a bunch of Saturn stuff early on. So obviously that fed your, you know that's that's how you were able to supply the 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 Saturn itch. But I I want to know how did it go from that to getting you um, into like creating videos and content related to the Saturn? Like how did that all start? Okay, sure. Um, so, yeah, just to give some context. So, yes, yeah, so basically I was like co-owner of a store here in Montreal that allowed me – think of it like like an EB Games, okay? It really was. It was something like that here. And it was just – it was a very local local store. And as you all know, you don't make any money on new games. So we started specializing in Atari, NES. So we had a distributor here in Montreal that I I don't know if this is actually legal back in the day or not, but uh, way back, the the Hollywood movies, before they came to uh, home entertainment, you had a grace period usually of six to eight months. So what does that mean? Well, movie like the one that I always talk about is Back to the Future 2 or Back to the Future 3 comes out in the cinema. Everybody goes, whatever. Then it comes out for Blockbuster, like all your rental chains. And you couldn't actually buy the movie for months and months, sometimes even a year that's how it worked back in those days. They had exclusivity over the, the sort of rental period. And because I got access to that distributor, I was able to get my hands on all kinds of clearance stuff. Um, and in particular, because I fell in love with the Saturn and it just so happened to die pretty much upon arrival, 
Um, your big chains, like your Toys R Us, started clearing that out ridiculously early. Like, I know that people are like, oh, you know, 97 was, was a good year. Well, not here. It wasn't a good year for them. And they started clearing out way back then. And no one was buying this stuff. So because we had the store and we were like, well, you know, we're selling used games and stuff like that. Why not? You know, and I'll, I'll never forget that we paid like a thousand dollars, something like that in 97, 96, 97, 98, somewhere in that in that range. And we paid like a grand and that got us access to something like I'm not joking, like probably 20,000 games, something like that, like just warehouses full of of just games, games, games on college. And we thought we, we thought this was all, you know, stuff that no one would want. But I, I told you guys before, you know, like we had a pallet of like Panzer Dragoon sagas, like that just just an entire pallet. It must have been like four or five hundred copies of the game or something like that. That most likely like all of Eastern Canada didn't want, and they just were like, okay, well, here, guys, you know, if you're if you're willing to buy it, here you go. And that was so common back in the day. And like I said, in terms of legality with the whole VHS stuff, I don't know because they used to sell those VHS movies um, the second Blockbuster got. So let's say like that Back to the Future uh, Part 2 or 3. As soon as Blockbuster got it, you could actually go to this distributor, pay 300 bucks, and buy a copy. And you'd have it like wow. a year before anyone else. But again, I'm not sure how legal that was. That's so I'm a, not going to say any names. <laughs> that sounds like an exp- that sounds like the most expensive VHS ever for a new one. $300? Oh, you should have seen what they did with Laserdisc back in the day. But oh, I digress. Don't get, don't get me on that. I'm, I'm a big Laserdisc collector for anime stuff. And it's even now it's tough. Well, that's it. So this this place was like a gold mine, okay? So what does that have to do with videos? Absolutely nothing. But it's just to give some context of how I got access to some of this stuff. But I was looking around and I was like, oh, this this could be kind of cool, you know, like talk about games. Project COE itself um, started, believe it or not, do you guys remember the insider message boards Nintendo used to have years yeah. and years and years ago? Yeah, yes. of course. <clears throat> Well, I was one of their sages. I was one of their first sages that they had, which is sort of like a a site moderator, if you will, or a board moderator. And a bunch of us got together and said, like, you know what? Why don't we just do something ourselves? So we created this really god-awful website, and we started covering just random games. And then that evolved into YouTube. And my good buddy Steven, he would focus all kinds of our content on Nintendo. And I was like, well... There's another company, you know, that we could we could talk about. And when I went online and started looking for videos, I was like, wow, like there is nothing out here. You know, like like YouTube pretty much had virtually nothing in terms of Sega Saturn content, or at least not much and not the best quality. Like it looked like, you know, like I don't know what capture devices people were using back in the day. So I was like, you know, we could do a better job than this. And I am not, I'll tell you right now, I'm not a graphic artist. I'm not a video editor. I'm not, that's not at all what I am. But I was like, I really want to talk more about this this console. So that was pretty much it. So started showing a couple of videos here, there, uh, some really god-awful stuff at first. And then slowly, you know, equipment evolved. And I remember one of the very, very first videos I ever did was on Shining the Holy Ark. I love that game. And I remember, like, people were like, what the hell is this they're like it looks so much like golden sun and i'm like well there's a there's a reason for that 
<laughs> and and so that that was it and just started making videos on it and talking to people i mean you guys like people like you you know like you guys you blow my stuff out of the water but it was just it was nice that it, it sort of like lit a spark and i don't want to say that we're responsible for any of this because who knows but i just know that like we were at the right place at the right time and more and more people started to talk about this little system that no one had ever heard about before. And if I had anything to do with helping light that spark mission accomplished, and I'm, I'm super, super happy with it. And there you go. Yeah, you did. I mean, I can, I can vouch for my, myself at least that like I was watching your videos, sorry to age you, but a decade ago or more, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, I love it. Like, here's a, I, Everything that comes out, everything he says, I feel like I, I'm that guy, you know, I just, I'm not the one making the videos, but like, I totally know what you're talking about. I mean, granted, you're, you're even more hardcore. Like you were there day one. I, I was a big uh, Sega Genesis fan too, but like, I didn't make that connection right away because it, unfortunately Sega's marketing failed me, <laughs> you know, and some <laughs> people were just more with it than others. Like, but I did, you know, I did finally catch on in 96 and then the rest of the narrative that you paint, you know, about uh, you know, the, the clearance bins and just like what it was like to be a Saturn fan in those days. I can, I literally can, that resonates with me on a, on a huge level. And I just remember thinking like, why aren't more people doing this? You know, um, why, why we all have phones, you know, we all have a, a way to shoot video or like do, you know, chats now technology is kind of caught up and like, you know, I don't want to be that lone kid who went hunting for Saturn games and could didn't have anybody to share them with basically. So, you know, lo and behold, uh, a podcast pops up and, you know, now this community I feel like has really kind of gotten together and we all kind of know each other. We all know, uh, you know, what everyone's doing in this community, but yeah, no, your, your content was like some of the first content to really inspire me and a lot of other people to get into this console or to create con content about this console. So, yeah. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to hear, you know, to hear that it makes me feel good. And it's funny, you know, you say like 10, 10, 12, 15 years ago, if you go <laughs> back and watch some of my early like Panzer Dragoon saga um, videos, I, I think I mentioned like, oh, it's like 250 bucks now. That's crazy. And stuff like yes. that. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I do remember that. <laughs> that game has gotten only... out of control over the last, it was, I was arguing with some guy on the forums in 2017 he was trying to charge like $400 for it. And I was arguing, uh, he's, he's ripping you off. Right? <laughs> and now it's like people would beg to pay $400. It's like, what, at like $1,200 right now, $1,500? Panzer Dragon Saga has literally gotten out of control. And I can't believe that I, you know, was, <laughs> I cannot believe that I was concerned about mm -hmm. $400 when, you know, I, I didn't have the foresight to realize that it was going to end up being like $1,200. Within just a few years, you know. Yeah, twelve hundred and fifteen dollars. It's it's crazy though. Like, I mean, I wonder how much of that is due to COVID, and how much of that is due to it just going up. Because like, it wasn't even that expensive a year year ago, wasn't it? It was like maybe in the five hundred to seven hundred dollar range still. I think that's why so many people don't like it now. Like, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot more hate for it, but I think it's because some of the people that don't like it paid hundreds of dollars for it. When you really yeah. 
shouldn't do that. And you can't but, you can't judge a poor game that has to stand up against that. You know, you can't judge yeah. a game based on that. Just like just like with the, you know, like I really appreciate your um sorry if this is a tangent but I'll be quick. I appreciate your mention of the Hidden Souls review. I thought it was really I thought it was really um fair, you know, even though yeah, you kind of ended up saying, you know, like it's not really that good. But I mean, at least you're not at the at the time, a lot of the games journalists would just basically poo-poo it or dismiss it just on the grounds that it was FMV and that that was kind of like not in vogue or it was becoming not in vogue anymore. And it's like you just kind of have to like rate a game based on what it brings to the table, whether it's good or not, whether it does a good job. Uh, right. you know, telling a story and giving you an entertaining, entertaining experience, which I think Panzer Dragoon Saga definitely does. But uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. And if you're paying hundreds of dollars for it, I, hopefully you're doing it because you just want it in your collection, not because you think that's how much you should pay to only play it yeah, and not and, do anything else with it. And that's what I like about the stuff like the Satiator and all these other stuff, all the ODEs, so that we can actually play these games and not have to spend a bajillion dollars to be able to play all the games on the Saturn. And I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, if you, if you think this is like bad, if you are a Neo Geo AES fan, Oh yeah. I just have to say, yeah, exactly. So like, just peace out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, this is like a gateway to that. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, like our whole chat about Panzer Dragoon Saga and how you were screaming about it and nobody was interested in it because, you know, everyone was all about Metal Gear and Ocarina. Like I was in exactly the same situation, so I, I needed to call that out. You know, you're you're playing this game and thinking, how does nobody else know about this game? You know, this this total treasure and you can't find it, nobody's talking about it. You know, in, in my case I had a local video game store that I would buy things from and I was acquainted with the owner and uh, he was going to E3 at the time and he asked me whether, uh, you know, I wanted him to get me anything and I said, yes, find me Panzer Dragoon Saga and he did. And so, you know, for under $100, I ended up paying for it. I still have my copy to this day, but but that's how it was back in the day. You know, people just wouldn't know and, you know, you wouldn't know it that a few years later you know, I was watching the Project COE video about Panzer Dragoon Saga. So, you know, yeah, with that said, I want to know, Jared, you know, what has been your favorite Saturn video that you've made and why? Like, why was it your favorite? You know, what made working on it uh, so special? me, it was really, I, I love education. I love history. I'm a huge, huge buff of history, in fact. And, you know, like the gaming historian, if I had the skills to actually like make videos like that, I would totally, totally do something like that. Like that's right up my, my alley. And I think like um, Gene, which for everyone who's listening, he's one of the uh, folks that put the uplink uh, conference together that we were a part of. And he singled out one particular video that I did where it's super simple. It's nothing fancy at all. It's literally just me talking about what it was like being a Saturn fan in 1998. And it's, continuing with this this thread and because i love history so much that was actually one of my favorite videos and i know it's so ridiculous right like it's just a camera right in my face no editing no nothing uh no script but that's those are my favorite types of videos where you just talk about your personal memories like i i have a couple of videos that i've done on like arcades for example because i really 
I, I, I'm sad that a whole generation will never get to experience anything like that. And it's it's really sad. Like, I find that truly, truly sad. But specifically with, like, the Saturn, like, that that video where I talked about what it was like, you know, like, the last handful of releases and the fact that, for all intents and purposes, like, those games never even needed to come out. And how sad is that? So another one that I really enjoyed, like, putting together um, was, I, I mentioned before about, like, uh, you know, Netlink, and I played, like, Duke Nukem and did it all live. Like, actually set it up, had someone, and, like, I called, phoned them in, and the whole thing. It must have been, like, one of the only videos at its time that existed of, like, an actual live match that uh, someone had done. Because this was, like, God, like, 12 years ago or something like that. Um, and I, I, this was like legit over analog phone lines. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Like legit. And yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. And again, for me, it's, it's the history. It's the historical context that I was trying to show people, you know, that was like, listen, like these, these games legitimately, like without any, you know, like third party software, any cracking, any hacking, any, anything, these games will work forever. As long as you have a landline, you know, if you don't want to do any any sort of, you know, finagling of anything else, like these games will work forever and ever and ever and ever. And and that's what I wanted to prove was like, here, let's just go. I'll walk you through how this actually works. And I just love that. I just love being able to, to do things like that. That's why I love so many of your guys' videos where you talk about different games like, um, oh, the name escapes me right now, but that MMO, you know, um, that was that was really yeah exactly like that was that was totally brilliant where where it's like oh my god i remember that you know and i'm like looking through my boxes and i'm like got it right here I'm like you know and it's it's it, those are my favorite types of videos well let's jump ahead that's actually pat's pat's next question <laughs> when he was up was talking about dragon's dream you mentioned that you you mentioned that you played it Pat. okay so yeah so that would have been like I've been to Japan quite a few times, um, especially due to I, like I do a lot of consulting, and so I have a lot of business that's actually done in Japan. Not so much anymore these days, but back in the day, uh, which is where I got access to all of my my sort of Japanese online software, shall we just say? And so <laughs> I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure because when I saw those videos that you guys had posted, I was like, Oh my gosh, like this, this really brings me back because I had friends of mine, right. That lived Mm -hmm. there and they, they would walk me through all kinds of different software. So yeah, I quote unquote played it, but it didn't, you know, wasn't here and just like jamming out to it or anything like that. Um, I was going to say, yeah. How, how would it be possible to do that in the United States? Was it even, were you able to connect to that back on the, connect to even that service specifically? I doubt very much because like, uh, even if you had, yeah, I don't, I'm not a technical whiz like you guys, but I doubt that would have even been possible. I mean, I mean, you probably could have, but it probably be extensive. Like it'd be long distance calling and you'd probably, it'd probably be the most expensive MMO of all time that you can't understand or play. You would have had to have the Japanese modem though with the card. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You'd have had to have the service. There were like three three different things involved, you know, besides like your touchstone phone fees. It was crazy uh, from what, from the research that I've done. But then again, I've never actually played the game beyond, you know, the, the start screen. (laughs) So I think that's really rad. Yeah. I just wish, I just wish that like, you know, 
like 15, 20 years ago, maybe even like a little more, like, I just really wish like I would have like realized then what I know now, you know, mm-hmm. and just, even if I would have taken like a, like a, a camcorder or something like that would have, would have been awesome because there are so many things that like I, I've experienced, not just with the Saturn, but you know, in Japan, there's just so much stuff, you know, like just so much, yeah. so much stuff. And now I think like because of people like what what you guys are doing, you know, and and other people are doing the same sorts of things with different different consoles or different uh, technologies. I think slowly but surely, more and more stuff is going to come out. And I'm dying. The truth is, I'm really dying to go back into my storage one of these days and dig out some of these videos because I did take a ton of video, and I just I'd like to go back and rewatch some of these things to see like did I capture something like that, you know, without ever even realizing I was capturing it back in the day because I'm sure there's some some good stuff there. That's pretty cool though. So you just basically just played it over a friends in Japan house. Somebody in Japan's house? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, like, I'd go down there for, like, a week for business, and then I'd take another week for a quote-unquote vacation, and I'd basically just geek out. <laughs> That's basically all I would do. Yeah, but what was... I mean, the landscape must be a lot of fun, because all the arcades were still open. They had all the, the Blast... Probably, was it Astro or Blast Cities back in the day? That'd be there. Uh, Blast City, remember. yeah. But Blast City Blast... was just new, right? Yeah, and... And I've, one thing I got to mention, eh? I know you guys know me like from like the Saturn stuff, but the other thing, my other big, big thing was Dragon Quest. That's like I'm one of the only people like back in the day that was actually playing Dragon Quest X yeah. um, and giving I like an Dragon English Quest. commentary and stuff. That's one of the major reasons why I would go to Japan was for Dragon Quest launches. I have so many pictures and videos of all the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people lined up and stuff. There, There's nothing... Like that's big as Dragon Quest. Yeah, and they're crazy about it. Well, you just like the only American there, just chilling out. It's like yeah, uh, pretty much. It's it's like just 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 sticking out like a sore thumb. It's like it's like oh, you here for Dragon Quest? It's like can you can you actually play the games? Like yeah, I can play it. Yeah. Did you ever get to go to the the Sega amusement park when you were in Japan? (sighs) They had us. They had like a Sega Sega amusement. Build it was like an amusement park, but it was like right, a city, yeah, city no, 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 I know what you're talking about. Like that. Yeah, yeah, it was like five levels, which is um, well, that's that's a whole other heaven. thing. We want like <laughs> yeah, that, that might but, be but Sega. Scope. Sega was like everywhere though, guys. Like, yeah. like especially in Japan. Like again, there's there's no equivalent to this here. But like you, you'd walk in and they would have like you know their arcades would be like say seven floors, and like Sega would be an entire floor would just be all the different Sega arcade cabs and stuff. And it was, it was amazing. If I can ever find any pictures, I'll gladly share with you, with you guys, because I think you'd get a real kick out of just seeing how big they were. Yeah. And I imagine our viewers would love to see something like that as well. And maybe like a, just like something on Twitter, like, oh, hey, picture of the day. This is a picture that Jared sent us. With Yeah, send, the, send any images or footage you have to Nick because, you know, he'll weave that stuff into. Oh, yeah. I'm I, sure. I, would, I wouldn't mind some B-roll as well. That'd be kind of some nice stuff. Yeah. Definitely got to digitize it at some point, uh, you know, just for the sake of keeping it in the, uh, I guess, archives of digital history. On some, You know, it sounds like you experienced a lot of cool video game activity from Japan back in the 90s, so... Uh, yeah. Speaking of digging up those tapes, so that is that in the same storage room as like your like giant massive collection of like Saturn and PS One games, or is that in a, like somewhere else? Yeah, no, no, it's all there. I have oh, okay. a storage. 
what can you tell us like about that collection and maybe like I, I know you probably don't have an exact number but roughly how many would you say are in there and what are some of your uh, you know favorite items from that giant <laughs> treasure hoard of ps1 and saturn games you got in there oh boy oh boy okay well in terms of numbers i honestly have no idea it was never cataloged uh so basically what happened when i when i first moved out into my own place my own little apartment there uh it was a little apartment right and Mm -hmm. because of the store we had made an arrangement where i would just well i we would just store stuff right like the, the the store that we had was just this really really small sort of like front end thing and a little back office in the back but you couldn't you couldn't really store anything there right so Mm -hmm. we were paying a monthly fee for like just a regular storage locker the stuff you see on tv and stuff like that i'm sure you guys have experienced this in your life when you want to move or or things like that sure and so um so yeah so anyways like you know like a a great example is like when ps2 came out right you you know we got like what i don't know 60 of them or something like that that's probably a terrible example we probably ended up with five knowing sony but whatever (laughs) the point is you know, like you needed a place to store this stuff overnight and stuff, someplace that was secure. So that's that's where the storage locker came in. And when we sold the store, we didn't sell any of the inventory. So we just basically sold the IP. We just sold like the name and whatever mm-hmm. was was on site. So at the end of the day, I ended up with like this massive you know, storage locker that was filled with just tons and tons and tons and tons of games. And I mean, I have today, I have a near, I think it's a near complete or a complete PlayStation one collection across. So like a black label collection. Jeez. I wow. have That's a lot of games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not same. So the same would be true for N64, Super Nintendo. No, I dude. think Genesis as well. Like is way, like it's way, way, way up there in Saturn, of course. Um, N64. That would have been the last, right? That would have been like the the end. So yeah. So just so when we I come mean, just, your house again. Well, it's not my house. <laughs> when we come tell me the locker, your storage, the storage locker is climate controlled. <laughs> yes, it is. It is good. Okay, good. And that's that's actually very important that it's climate controlled because you said what is your your favorite like item or whatever. It's actually a Sega arcade game from back in the day that used a combination of um, holograms and sand. And you would you would create like sand like castles and stuff and objects. Yeah, no, this this was think of it like uh, AR, augmented reality, before augmented ah. reality was a thing. So what you do is like kids would make shapes and stuff like that in sand, and then there would be like a like a, a projection onto the sand. It was pretty. I don't know what it's called. Honestly, I don't remember any of it. I just remember the the like it was rare even in Japan. Yeah. Um, I, I so, saw something like that in a museum recently, but I didn't know that like there was a Sega arcade game where they did that. Like yeah. <laughs> that's nuts. How old is that? Like what year did they make that? Do you? Oh think? man, I I I'd lie to you. I I have no right. idea. That's fine. but do you do you remember when Sega was starting to do that? Like Sega had started to dabble with projections, holograms, all kinds of stuff like that. I don't know how much actually got to release. I still think my favorite thing is the that that um the whole Sega thing where you can turn upside down the whole gyro, the gyroscope thing. Yeah, that's yeah. like my. I always want to try that, but I never know where they are at. 
I think they have one at Galloping Ghost down by Chicago now, but I'm not 100% sure. But sounds good. So, anyways, yeah, that's yeah. my that's my my like my prized item. I'll see if I can find what it's actually called. Okay, um, so Time Traveler though was a Sega. It was a Laserdisc game, but it was uh, released in '91 by Sega, and that was a hologram arcade game. Uh, but it was I don't think it had anything to do with sand. So yeah, no, what I'm talking about there was no screen. Right. Oh, okay. It, it was. It was, and I'm saying holograms. It's probably not yeah. holograms. Probably projections, just like a projected image onto uh, oh, like I a got modifiable you. sort. Because like you were basically the screen, right? Like the sand. Like think of it like a, a big rectangle or whatever that was filled with sand, and you would move these sand. Like you'd make these shapes out of the sand, and then there would be like a, almost like an AR that would go over that. I assure you, I'm not making this up. It exists. <laughs> no, now I'm going to have to look it up. That, yeah, sounds, that sounds awesome. We'll, we'll make a trip and we'll go and play that one of these days. Yep. <laughs> we'll head up to your storage locker in, what's it, Montreal or something? Oh, man. You guys are going to get, I'm going to get a notification. Your storage locker was broken into. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, just, you just see me like just throwing them all in my car and just like hauling it away. Yeah. <laughs> So when you said near, you, you were talking about, you said you had N64, Super Nintendo stuff in there. Is that also near complete or is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. All and almost too. everything is boxed too, eh? Like it's no not cartridges, like almost everything. And my NES collection too is quite, it's not, it's not near complete or anything, but it's quite, you know, like it's up there. I'd say it's about three quarters complete, all boxed. I have, this, was, uh, this was back when it wasn't very expensive either. Like you no, no, yeah, exactly. Money. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, for your for your listeners, I think that's or your viewers, I think that's important to note here. I am not a millionaire. I'm not uh, like loaded beyond belief. <laughs> you <It's> are now. <laughs> like, well, if I sell all of that, yeah, maybe. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I just like again, you know, sometimes life works out in in strange ways, and you just happen to be at the right place at the right time without even realizing it. And the truth is, okay, being completely transparent with you guys, um, I just I like games. Uh, it's as simple as that. And so when that opportunity like presented itself, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I'll take care of the the storage locker. And and being like again, totally transparent with you guys, like. I didn't really do much there for gosh, probably like two or three years. And it was, it's just, you know, life gets in the way, right? Like you, you move on, you got work, you got other things on your mind. And I, I vividly remember going back there and going like, Oh my, you know, like I never even took an inventory of what is there. And, and just going back, going in there. And when you start seeing, you know, stuff like I mentioned to you guys, like magical chase and stuff, you know, all sealed and you're like, Oh, like there's some pretty cool stuff here. And you go like, I, I still have like a turbo duo sealed, like brand new that we never sold. No and, way. and you start going through. Yeah. Those capacitors are. Uh, I was, was really going to say, you probably want to open that up and recap that thing before it melts the box. Like, yeah, that's it. Serious for real. I got to blow up your storage locker. <laughs> so you know, just looking around, I was just like amazed at at what was actually there. And and further to like you know the discussion on the Sega Saturn, it, it's truly sad because when I see that, it's a reminder not of me being some like ooh business savvy guy. It's a constant reminder of just how bad the the Saturn did. Because all of that that stuff 
you know, should have been in people's hands. Like that should have been sold. And I probably have something ridiculous, like 30,000 copies of Virtua Fighter 2, you know, like the more common games, like it's just, it's insane how, how many you end up with in, in all of this. So as cool as, as it is, it is bittersweet to me when, when I go there and I look at some of this stuff, because you're just reminded like, wow, this thing really bombed. Wow. And you still have all those like, 30 like 30 copies of virtual fighter and all that's in your locker no so most of the the stuff like over the years most of the stuff i've i've given to uh friends i used to do uh channel giveaways and stuff like that where you know we we just give away some some random stuff um i used to do local uh charity events here like i've, I've given away like i think like 20 copies of panzer dragoon saga over the years uh just to to people because it's it's sad, you know, like you guys were saying, like some people are, oh, the game is garbage and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, well, you're saying it's garbage because it costs, you know, X number. But, you know, if you've never actually played it, you you don't really have the right to comment on any of these things. And so I've tried to do my part to give back. I really have. I've given away a lot of Saturns over the years. Um I just, I, I tried, I've tried really hard to to give back to the the community because like, I don't want to just have a storage locker filled with stuff for no reason right like that that's stupid like exactly enjoying it yeah trying to trying to profitize the saturn <laughs> well that's <laughs> that's good i mean you know the, the the good thing is whether whether or not people can afford to own panzer saga these days they they definitely owe it to themselves to play it and right. i mean now now people are finally getting getting it the saturn didn't stop being a good, good console just because people weren't playing it right you know it was always good and it's always going to be good like it's objectively good when when its games are just like there are so many brilliant games on the console so you know the fact that folks nowadays who were just playstation back in the day can can be like wow there's like this whole new console for me to consume all these great games and and it's it's just like I mean, for us, we, we're nostalgic about it, but a lot of folks are just coming to these games for the first time, and it's like they get all this new retro content, you know? So I don't care if they were there day one or if they're finally hopping on the bandwagon now and finding out about how good it is, you know? I mean, that's that's what we're all about is we just want more and more people to play it, uh, you know, so that you know, we, we can share our memories about it and stuff. And... um while we are still kind of talking about your collection so that we don't don't get too far off i wanted to also mention that um right in your name there project coe that's uh what is that acronym for masters of the universe it's the yeah it's it's something called the council the council Council of elders yeah and it just it fit because like i said uh we were all like the founding members of coe we were all nintendo elders on the insider message boards which was like their sage thing like that that, that's so it it, it was serendipitous right like it just all sort of but you have a you have an extensive masters of the universe collection as well oh yeah man boy i hope no one i know listens to this because (laughs) they're gonna think i am like like my my day job, I'm a business guy. I'm all professional. I'm like sure. nobody would. They're gonna they're gonna die of laughter if they heard this. They'd be like, "What?" But yes, I I have a complete Masters of the Universe collection um, dating back to the original line all the way up to and including the classics line that ended like last year. So wow. that's oh, wow. probably like 800 figures or something. <laughs> Ben's like that. clapping. He's yeah, giving Ben's- you applause. Ben's happy. Yeah, and I should say, I should say that these are all mint on card. 
all of these. Wow. So these are all like, wow. yeah, I, I have like, I'm a huge Masters fan. And you keep most of that stuff in your house, right? You're not in the storage unit. Yeah, no, that's stuff. Yeah, that, that stuff. Uh, you, yeah. you got the whole Master of the Universe like, out I, room. I, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yes, bedroom is just nothing but but he man. That's a paper. As, okay, as a Master of the Universe fan from a way back in the '80s, from when they first came out, that is super awesome. I I love that. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I still have framed my uh, Masters of the Universe fan club membership because uh, from like 1982, 83, something like that. Yeah, I I think Nick and I are both are both more Pokemon guys than Masters of the Universe right. people, though. Yeah, that was just oh, a yeah. few years behind yeah, me, no. but it's still good stuff. <laughs> yeah, Master Respect, sure. I probably would do the same thing if Pokemon was ungodly expensive. Yeah. Oh, well, so, don't, don't kid yourself, though. Masters isn't cheap, especially those G1 oh, figures. Geez. Like, oh, boy. I was going to say, how much of that was, like, collecting over the years and just stuff that you bought later on where it's like, oh, I really want this? Yeah, so I, I just... You know, I've used the word serendipitous once or twice now. I think I've got real lucky with with this kind of stuff. So let's just say collecting. I've just been super, super lucky over the years where, you know, like with Masters, Masters was one of the first things when eBay launched that I completed my collection. Um, because what I, what I used to do back in the day is like when, whenever like there was clearance or anything like that, I wanted, I wanted the, the full set of figures. And when eBay first launched, nobody knew what they were doing. Like eBay wasn't what it was today. You used to be able to get, you know, games today that are going for thousands. You'd get for five bucks. Like nobody, exactly. you know, you, you had, what was the eBay community it was like, what, 500 people? You know, something like that. Now yeah. you have what millions and millions of, of of folks. So I just got really, really lucky that I was able to complete those sets. And then what I did, like you know, when they launched classics, as an example, like you just, I mean, I was a member of Maddie Collector and stuff like that. So then they just, you know, they give you the the figures right to your house. So, but in terms of all of those classic things, I just happened to be seriously like at the right place at the right time. I was super lucky. Nice. Yeah. I think that's usually how, how it happens. Like, I think, I think I got lucky. Like I collected a couple, some SNES stuff back in 2008. And even then it was like $40 for like, I think I paid 40 bucks for a complete in box, uh, Kirby's Dreamland three, which I ended up trading for Magic Knight Rare a little bit later on the line. But it's like, you just find like deals like that, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, I find like now you gotta be like there's i don't even know what word i would use it wouldn't be you lucky have to, you have to have you, you have to be have logan paul money to be able to afford some of the stuff sometimes yeah yeah you know and that's something uh, just before we we go on um because dave dave mentioned a, a comment that kind of sh- like struck a chord with me which was to say like you know you guys just want more people to play these games and one of the things that that i'm kind of really sad especially with the saturn is just how many great games can't be played anywhere else you know, and, and that, for lack of a better word, just sucks <laughs> because like as much as I, I love the Saturn and, and, you know, video game preservation, like it would be phenomenal to be able to play a lot of these, you know, more obscure or unknown games on either new consoles or PC or, or whatever. And it's, it's a real shame that, absolutely, like, you know, that that just never happened. Like Lunacy, for example. I mean, yeah, I, want exactly. more, yeah. I would love more people to be able to play Lunacy, but even with emulation, like 
I, unless I like sat somebody down and said, here you go here, here, I've done all the, the legwork for you. Just go ahead and enjoy it. You know, like most people will be like, Oh yeah, that's cool. I'll check it out. But they probably never will, you know? <laughs> and I'm, so it's like, I have, I feel like we have to do podcasts or videos to, tr- uh, to try to like make it more easily to digest for them, you know, to understand like, but you never really know what it was like unless you just sit down and play it, you know? And I mean, there, there's a game where, I actually do think that it's art, you know, I actually, it's not just a walking simulator, you know, it's not just like, um, and of course it's dated, you know, and I, and I've watched your video on it too, you know, um, where you talk about it and it's, it's one of my favorite games on, on the Saturn. It's one of those things where I do realize that it's an acquired taste, but it's just, it's just got so much to it. You know, I, I feel like there's a lot of folks out there that would love it. Um, but they just probably will never experience it because either the hardware is too expensive or they're not willing to try to like download an emulator and get that whole thing going. And, you know, so, but, uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, there are some definite experiences that are just locked down, uh, shining the Holy Ark being another one of those. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Uh, and just so you know, like that was almost a pick I would have said for my favorite, like Saturn game, because I, I don't know what it is. I have never been able to put my finger on it, but there's just something about that. It was such a huge evolution mm-hmm. to Shining in the Darkness. And it was like, I love that game. I just absolutely it, love Shining the Holy Ark. It's abs- it's it's excellent. I mean, some people are put off by the, the graphic style to, to begin with, because, you know, they are like pre-rendered sp- uh like pre-rendered 3d sprites or whatever but uh i think once you really get into it it just hooks you you know but i mean if you if you have a complete saturn collection then that means you also have a lot of really bad games as well yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly like the the, like i I like to joke with people and say like the overwhelming majority is crap um because it's you know dated sports games and things like that but for you know for for all of that you know you still you're left with your yeah. your really unique experiences and it does oh, yeah. suck that well, they're locked to a very old piece of hardware only yeah. for the the sake of new people because especially like with a game like shining the holy ark like if you are a nintendo fan and you start to realize who camelot is and you start to you know uh, do a little research into like the background mario who they golf are, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, but you wouldn't believe how many comments I, I've had from people are like, "Hey, that sound effect, I've heard that somewhere." Yeah, and, you and know, it's, just little it's, things like that. Yeah, and it's a, it's a sadness because like something like Magic Knight Rare Earth is never going to be put on another console because it's just a a, mar- a licensing nightmare, right. in, in, yeah. in a way. And but absolutely, uh, there is one game I'm happy that's going to stay on that console forever, and that's Mr. Bones. Just keep that. Keep that game on there forever, please. I got a bone to pick with you, Pat. <laughs> Leave that well, no, there. I was, I was actually, I was, I was trying to transition. It didn't work out. But what I was getting at was, with all those bad games, you must have a most hated Saturn game or a least favorite Saturn game, at least. I'm curious to know. Okay. It won't be it won't be a single game. It's going to be one of the questions. I, I don't remember if it was you or someone else who asked uh, Tom, but. I, I honestly feel like it is almost the entire launch lineup or, or shortly after launch, like all those like Gen Wars, you know, like all those weird games where you're just like, why? Like, like and, and, Black Fire. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like it's so to me, it's like it's it's 
a combination of all of those. And I know, I know there's like one or two picks that are like famous for people to like, you know, rip apart. But again, living through the the whole era, it's really that because you're coming off Genesis, right? Where you brought Nintendo to its knees. And now what? Your Gen War and Blackfire, yeah. I think it just suffered from the th- the thing that I call as early 3D graphics and gameplay, because early 3D, like a lot of those Saturn games, are really rough to play. And even now, it's like, man. No, you're saying it wrong. You're saying it wrong, Pat. It's not. It's called creamy 3D graphics. Yeah, cre- yeah, creamy 3D graphics <laughs> that just make you wanna just make you wanna pick up a PS1. But I guess in essence, it was in that weird phase where they. Want to go all 3D games only and make this awesome, and it's like, uh, so, but to be fair, the PS1 and N64 also suffered from this. But yes, I think yeah. a lot of Saturn, especially with the quality of it and the difficulty and that people had with it, was just the there, prime there candidate. There were like but two Jared, big problems with no. that, like, because for one, a lot of those companies, like you know, the people that made Bug, they tried making a Sonic game, and then Sega of Japan was like, nah, no, you're not. And like Tom told us straight up that the reason why, you know, the Black Fires and Gen Wars of that day existed was because Japan straight up told them to. But another big, big problem of that of, of that time is that they were a lot of the American developers were just given the worst possible support. They were given really, really crappy dev kits and really crappy manuals late, like after they started making them. And that and the game Poorly suffered translated too. because of that. Yeah. yeah, some yeah. of the some of the dev manuals just weren't even translated at all, and they and, just had to kind of flounder. <laughs> and it makes me wonder. But, yeah. It makes me wonder how better the Saturn would be if it they just focused on those really good two D games that they're sort of yeah. originally going to focus on, and maybe we'd get more stuff like Symphony of the Night on PS One than Gen War and all these other ones that were just kind of meh. And, but, yeah. and that's. That's actually kind of like my point of why I don't pick a particular like, you know, one god awful game or whatever is that like even a game, for example, that like I was really looking forward to like Tomb Raider, right, as an example, like Sega was really doing a good job back in the day of hyping that up as like, you know, a Saturn exclusive. This is going to be like a big deal. And then obviously we all know what happened there. Um, And I, I think that was the big thing so like for all the creamy 3d games that you had at least with the playstation one and with the n64 you had those standout titles right that you could like latch onto, and that is what i feel the saturn really missed very early on like there wasn't much that you could grab onto and be like oh, okay this this you know yeah there's all that other garbage but this this is where it's at and it's like I just I feel like if they would have just had a handful, not not even like, you know, not like four, <laughs> four would have done it like something like that, because even as an arcade junkie, when you first saw Daytona, Creamy is putting it nicely. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you were you were like, what is this? And well, same yeah. with Virtual Fighter. They were drinking their own Kool-Aid, because if you read the Saturn white paper, it was just like so much ego uh it, you know it was ba- like they're they were bringing in their ego from this from the genesis days and being like well that still stands right because we're sega yeah. right and, and the thing uh, is and- that it, it, it's funny because looking at the dreamcast lineup it was much 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 stronger coming out the gate than the saturn ever was like i mean you had so many i do want to say i do want to say this coming off of what pat said um while we're still talking about it 
Um, hypothetically speaking, I really do think that Sega should have done one of two things. Either they stuck with 2D and they didn't do that kind of last minute redesign to the hardware. Because the truth is, in the, the year they did that last minute redesign, they kind of had to throw the book out. Uh, you know, they didn't have enough time to work on a software development kit. Instead, it was spent retooling the, the board, you know. And uh, so they didn't have the time to develop a really thought out software development kit and libraries to give the developers. So then when launch came, they literally threw the book at folks. And I mean, it was like volumes this thick of poorly translated Japanese. So either they don't do that and they, they stick to, they stick with 2d, right? Like Pat was saying, or they just don't do the early launch. Right. You know, the instant, so you know, no, but, they decided, yeah, but so they decided to go 3d um, that in that uh, splinter of history, I guess you could say. So they decided to go 3d and it's done deal. They retool the board. Well then don't do an early launch let the Saturn bake for a little longer, let the, give them time to, to work on those development libraries, give the third party devs more time to work on the work on those, uh, those games so that they can be ready for launch, you know, but it's like, if they had done one of those two things, then I think, I think it would have been, a I think, I just think with the, the early launch, I think it was just that whole, that whole PR and that whole cloud, that cloud of, of Sony mm-hmm. that was just trying, this is like strangling them. That yeah, just, like, I mean, put the pressure on. They didn't think that nobody thought that Sony was going to be serious competition. Everybody was saying in the media, they kept re- re- repeating that same, well, they make Walkmans, you know, they make stereos and TVs. So, you know, they don't know what they're doing, you know, but, uh, but it's like, as soon as they saw that, oh my God, they're catching up to us quick. And on this pace in Japan, you know, and on at this pace, they will outpace us by next year so then it's like they start you know they start sweating and telling soa okay go ahead and launch it like right away we need to try to like beat them you know to the punch but i mean of course we don't know how that goes yeah yeah but i think i think it was a a, i mean in my opinion that that was a a perfect storm like Mm -hmm. as someone that did live it right like day one right being there I don't think as much as I know, I know a lot of people said, you know, like if they would have just focused on 2D, the truth is if they would have done that, they would have been dead, completely dead. Because at that point, you know, it was like, if you weren't doing 3D, you weren't doing nothing at all. And yeah. and I remember yeah. people are just losing their minds over, you know, the, the early shots of Mario 64. And it's funny because you're right. Like a lot of people in, in the media at the time, Sony wasn't the player. Everyone always forgets this, but it's like it was Nintendo. Nintendo mm-hmm. was everywhere with their Ultra 64 and like how this is going to revolutionize video games and blah, blah, blah. And that pretty much kind of flopped. But yeah, even that was a year, I, yeah, even that was a year off, right? So it was like it. Sega was like, "Oh, we don't have to worry about them until '96, and by that time, we'll have uh, our our hooks in the market," you know. That's and it. all they're doing right now is like Donkey Kong, you know. They're they're just kind of keeping the SNES on life support with like these pre-rendered 3D games, which, to be honest, did well for themselves. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think uh, you know Nintendo had a good game plan. Um, the Super Nintendo wasn't selling any less you know still doing very well and so was the genesis you know the genesis was still selling very well so you know anyway i don't want to like rehash all this stuff that we talked about jerry i mean i suppose we can come back to some of this stuff when we recap the panel but uh nick's got next 
Uh, talking about your, you know, your, your YouTube channel, you were obviously one of the very first to start talking about this stuff, like all those years ago. And, uh, you know, looking at it, there's still videos getting posted there, not as many of like the Saturn reviews and stuff. But like, what is the you know future of your channel look like? And are there any future plans you'd care to share with some of the listeners moving forward? I, if you only knew how many comments or messages I get of where the hell are you? Uh, every day I swear I get like 20, 30, 40 messages from people like leaving comments saying like, uh, are you alive? Uh, my future, my future plan is to just get back into it. What I miss most is the, the community. I mean, we're, we're coming up to like 15,000, uh, people that follow our stuff which is like pretty impressive considering we never did anything you know like uh quote-unquote professional it was all done just a bunch of people talking about games that uh, that we like right now the odd video that you'll see um timothy posts like some let's plays and stuff like that but i'm like the the historian if you will right like yeah. I, I and i still very much want to finish what I originally set out to do with, which was basically just a, you know, basically give my impressions of every U.S. Saturn game, Hell um, yeah. minus the sports stuff. And I've done quite a few. If yeah. you delete those sports games, like it's very close. I don't know exactly what the tally is that I'm missing, but uh, it's got to be like roughly 200 or so, maybe a little less, maybe a little more than that. But you, you definitely got several dozen up there for sure. Yeah, like I think I was at like one around one forty or something like that. Like uh, I, I got to go back. Honestly, yeah. I just got to go back, and and I'm just hoping that my my quote unquote real life here, is, if they can get under control, then I can get my life back. But basically, what happened was uh, uh, three years ago. My goodness, three years ago now, I did a full-time MBA while I was working full-time, and that just destroyed, you know, like, free time. What? What's that? Yeah. And then, and then of course, I, I finished my MBA, and the world decides to end thanks to COVID. So it was just perfect. It was It was been a perfect storm of my, like, professional and personal life. So because mm-hmm. of that, it's just, I haven't had a chance to go back, but that is my goal. My goal is really to go back. I will never match the quality of what's out there today, but it's more just to reconnect with the community. And, and honestly, I just like talking about this stuff. Nice. Do you think you'll ever do the fabled walkthrough of your storage room with uh, however many thousands of games you got in there? Well, if I ever do that, you guys will be the first to know because what, I, what I've been <laughs> thinking of doing is just, no joke, but just inviting a bunch of people to come because I have no clue what's even there anymore. You know, And I, I think it would be kind of fun to just have a bunch of gaming fans go through and be like, are you serious? Like, with some of this stuff. Oh, I'm sure we'd make the trip for sure. <laughs> so... That's crazy. If you had to like, just another question about that. I'm sorry, I keep going back to that storage room, but I know you probably can't quantify an exact amount and especially not an exact value. But do you know, like, if you were to guesstimate how many copies of games were in there, if you were to say like, oh, it's more than a thousand or more than 2000, like, what would you... Would I it be think, like in the tens of thousands even? Yeah, or is it yeah exactly. I no think there's probably somewhere <laughs> somewhere around 20,000. Jesus. Jared. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> That's it's, nuts. Yeah, because just in my place now, I have about 1,000 here. Okay. 
So, and, and I'm just looking based on the boxes and stuff that are literally right beside me. If I were to extrapolate that, given the, the volume of the uh, storage locker, yeah, probably some, somewhere between 10 and 20,000 games for sure. Wow. <laughs> you could open a museum. <laughs> you could. Well, yeah. hey, no joke. That was actually something that I was actually thinking of doing because a lot of this stuff is sealed, you know, like it's... Jesus. And and I'm sure that like some of it, I, I can't you know without going in and actually looking yeah. at every single mm-hmm. thing, but I'm sure that you know there's probably copies of games in there that there may only be like four or five that exists on planet Earth in that yeah. you know brand new condition. Which mm-hmm. that's something that like you know people always joke to me, oh yeah, you'll sell. I'm like, I don't actually want to sell that stuff. You know, right. like I'm not. Yeah, I didn't yours, do man. this. <laughs> well, it, well, it's like I didn't. Like we were talking about investments, right? Like before. Well, when you invest in something, you're investing in it to eventually cash out and make make money or return on your investment. But the thing is with this was that was never the intention. I didn't buy this stuff. You know, oh, one day Panzer Dragoon Saga will be worth millions and give an evil laugh. I'm like, no, like that was never, ever the intention. My intention was just preservation, was just to make sure that someone somewhere would have these like Saturn games and these PlayStation games. Because one day, especially with the Saturn, like I figured that like one day it would just be erased from history that like no one would know anything about this so that's that's really why i have so much respect for what you guys do because you're keeping that that spirit alive you know you're keeping this little black box that could alive and and that's awesome well thank you no yeah. and you definitely started that effort too and excited to hear that at some point you know once things calm down with you and your world you'll eventually uh you know get back at it yourself so that's great yeah, I've been keeping my mic a little bit uh, turned off for a little bit there because we got into a little bit of the Nintendo 64 topic. And as you can see in my background, I've got the uh, fantastic Nintendo 64 collection, which I was going to say was... you got like eight of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got them all. And I'm really sad they never came out with a translucent yellow. That would have really completed the rainbow spectrum there. And uh, but um, but yeah, so I, I just like. But I didn't really want to take up all of Jared's time because we could just really go into all the little different dynamics of everything that happened during like the late 90s and uh, what happened during when Saturn came out and all the 2D, 3D and all the PlayStation and everything. And oh, man, that could just really get into some uh, crazy dynamics. But but. I, what I really wanted to end up on was really this uh, this uplink panel that we did just recently. And um, so, Jared, what are your thoughts and takeaway from getting to talk to Tom Kalinsky himself? Well, I'll tell you guys, like, I'm so happy I did what I did in inviting you guys over because the truth and I realized it instantly I don't think I ever would have left like 1984, 1985 with him. Like we would have never even gotten to to video games because he was so charismatic. He he was so genuine, you know, like being prepared, having a couple of props and stuff like that. Um, I just I love that. And I I knew that I would fanboy out if I was alone. (laughs) And so I was like, there's no chance I'm going to do this alone. I want to share this experience with other people. And I think the highlight truly for me was being able to see all of your faces 
especially when you know he he would say something or give a little joke or show a little prop like some of the screen grabs that that i've got are just pure gold because like all of us are just elated to be there yeah. and talk to this guy and it's like like i told you i'm a huge history fan and like tom is history you know and it's like we we actually got to interact with that uh, more than any of the 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 you know the the answers to the questions that we had that for me was was just amazing it was definitely one of the big ones on my bucket list and uh you know i i i totally agree like <clears throat> i just you know hearing him talk about hearing him talk about some of those things that w- where we understand the story because we've heard it secondhand, you know, just hearing it from him and having him kind of confirm some of those things. Um, you know, it meant a lot. It, it, it kind of sucked, you know, like I, I can tell like the frustration in his voice at times where he's just like, look, I mean, I've, I've repeated this, you know, several times, but it's just <laughs> like, it is what it is. I didn't have complete control at that point. And I mean, really that was kind of my exit, you know? So it's like, you know, would be nice to get Stoller on the record about some things, but I don't know how much he's doing, you know, making the rounds on interviews. Yeah, these days, I don't think but... he's very enthusiastic about Saturn, to yeah. be honest. And yeah, that's the thing is it's like, I'm sure that at the time they were used to being interviewed and having to put up their dukes and like defend being kind of like a defensive mode all the time. And it's like with us, it's like we love this system, you know. Uh, we're kind of the weird ones that, you know, that we absolutely love this system. And, you know, it, sure, we can see it for all of its flaws, you know, but at the same time, it's like I was saying the other day, if you changed any one of the things, you know, that made Saturn Saturn, it wouldn't be the Saturn that we know, you know, it just would be something different. And I can't even I can't I don't even know if if uh, we'd all be here, you know, if any part of history had been different, you know, Um again, like I, we create Saturn content because there's a niche there. There's, there's a need, right. But it's like, for the same reason, I don't create dreamcast content or Genesis content because there's just a glut of it out there. There's enough people doing that, you know? So it's like, like you said, you looked, you looked around and saw that nobody was doing this stuff. So you felt like there was a void and you wanted to fill it, you know? And so that's the thing. If Saturn had been more successful, I'm not sure that we would even be doing this because there'd be so much competition, you know? Exactly. There's a reason why we're not a Nintendo podcast. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like back in 2010, I think it was like you, Jared, and the occasional classic game room video that like right. covered like fifth gen Sega stuff. And that was that was it. <laughs> yeah, so. no, yeah, for sure. I mean, and and I think Dave, what you just said, I think is is 100% right. And uh, I would probably have uh, been covering TurboGrafx-16 or something like <laughs> You're that. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's another unloved one. You know, when, when, when Tom left, you know, I was I was like, guys, did I piss him off with that comment about uh, well, how did you plan on making money? You know, because because he was like, "Look, we made I made them a lot of money," <laughs> you know? and I was just like, "I'm so sorry, Tom." Yeah. I, he, I don't think he was ever. Mad. No, no, <laughs> no, no. No, but, I, I felt... no, but at the same time, like it was like there was real emotion there. Like he was like, "Look, like people try to paint this picture a certain way," and I'm here to tell you that, like, uh, he he was like saying, you know, I raised their stock prices, you know, and um, so you know, I mean. He had a plan, right? He had a, he had a plan. He just wasn't able to execute on it. That's the thing is Tom, in order to see his plan through to completion, you, he had to be able to execute on it and have like full autonomy, 
and he just didn't, you know? So um, I know there's folks out there that it's like, don't want us to defend certain folks or certain decisions that were made, but it's like, they got to realize that, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't have complete control and you're the CEO, you know, uh, you know, what can you do really, you know? Yeah, exactly. I felt more bad when I did the the questions. I kept getting shot down about the working designs, and the other one, it's like, uh, sorry. Yeah. No, but like I, I, I don't know. Like you can you can really see that he he probably thinks exactly like we do, where it's like how how is it even possible? On what planet is it? Does it make any sense for someone to essentially? make Sega a household name and then be pretty much ignored. And that you could see it in his body language, you know, that it, it doesn't make sense. Like there, there is no, I, I understand like, you know, we, you can do the research, you can find out why like Sega of Japan did what they did and that's all fine and dandy. But at the end of the day, like what Tom Kalinske and his team did for Sega was never done again you know Mm -hmm. and and for them to just basically be like no 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 you know here here's again war have fun um it just it it's painful and you could see it and that was the thing that that like i really took away most from this was like it still bothers him you know that like he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do because he has a he has a sterling track record, you know, and that's something that he prides himself on. Uh, you, that's why it's easier for him to speak, you know, with nostalgia about the, the Sonic era or uh, about the, you know, Masters of the Universe and Barbie. And so because like those were plans from conception to completion where he was able to execute and prove that, you know, it worked, you know. And I mean, the, so those are memories that, you know, he can hang on his metaphorical wall. I mean, he probably has plaques or something that he hangs on his wall, but I mean, you know, it's like, I would feel bad too, you know, because I'm, I'm darn sure that despite Saturn's hangups as a console, us being able to love it so much like we do and think that it's such a great console means that it was a great console. And if you had the right guy to market it, I think it could have done well, you know? And so I, I do believe that if he had been given that control, that uh, things might have gone a little differently. I'm not saying that it would have won out against Sony. I mean, because they've made spectacular decisions as well, you know, over the years. And they've just done so many things right, you know. So, I mean, kudos to Sony and the PlayStation for being such a great console with a vast library of great games. But it's got a lot of crap games too, you know? And it's like, if, uh, if Tom would have just been able to, you know, market the Saturn the way that, that it needed to be in the West, you know, it might've gone a little bit better because it's still a great console. And I think we all agree about that. I was just sort of thinking, having grown up during the Genesis era, I've really got Tom Kalinske to, you know, thank for my love of gaming like at the time it was between the you know the NES and the Sega Master System and and you know nobody cared about the Master System I didn't care about the Master System but the Genesis came and you know it was Tom's and his way of marketing it and what have you that made it such a household name and it really sort of invested me into Sega and so ultimately 
uh, when it was time for the next round of consoles, for me, without having seen any of the specs or seeing any of the games or whatever, I knew that I would be getting a Saturn over whatever Nintendo would be putting out or whatever Sony may have been designing at the time. Uh, so, you know, he he not only got my dollars, you know, that day when I bought a Genesis, but he also got my loyalty. Um, so if he hadn't come along and done what he did with the Genesis, would I still have been the Saturn fan that I am today? Like, you know, with the, the Saturn would have surely still come along, but Tom was so instrumental in creating that hardcore group of loyalists. And, and yes, some of them obviously fell off and went over to Sony or even Nintendo, but... You know, where would Sega have been without the guy? And, you know, even in Japan, I mean, the Mega Drive there was not doing very well. It was outsold by both the Super Famicom and uh, NEC's um, PC Engine. So, you know, him making Sega as much money as he did during the Genesis era, did that fund things in Japan in the Saturn era? So, so like, to me, I think it's, you know, it's... It's very understated the influence that he had on the company as a whole, and and again, this is you know just from the perspective of the young boy who grew up on the Genesis and eventually became a huge Saturn fan. But it, like for me, it it really seems like he gets the bad rap for the unsuccessful Saturn launch. But without Tom Kalinske, would we even have had a Saturn launch? I mean, you know, obviously it would have come here, but if the Genesis had done poorly, you know, it may have been a super low key launch, and Sega. I mean, everybody knew what the Saturn was. What if, you know, without Tom Kalinske, the Saturn launch had been comparable in hype and consumer awareness to how the 3DO was? Like, I really think that Tom is way more important in Sega's history, especially outside of the Genesis, than than people actually give him credit for. Agreed. Well said. Um, <laughs> no, I was just going to say that, like, I 100% agree with you, Peter. I think, and and that's one of the things that, why I said my comment earlier, where... Like in in what planet does this even make sense where this could occur? Because without like without Tom and his team, would the Genesis have ever, you know, been able to do what it did? There's a reason they hired Tom. You know, people kind of forget that because he wasn't CEO when when Genesis first launched. And, and, you know, there's a reason Sega brought him on. They trusted him. They let him do his thing. You know, they basically reset the Sega Genesis with Sonic. And then they never look back. If you look at the market share from when Sonic was introduced and all of the, the, the marketing and all the tactics that they use, it literally just skyrocketed after, after that particular point in time. And I, I often think that, like, if Tom never would have been hired, what would have happened? Like, would would Saturn have just been, you know, like, almost like an afterthought launch here? Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I do I do think that, like, Tom and his team deserve way more credit than uh, history gives them. And I always wondered, like, what would have happened had Tom been the real CEO of Sega Corp, not Sega mm-hmm. of America? Because then those discussions with Silicon Graphics and and all those organizations, right? Like the hardware could have been fundamentally different. And I just, you know, it's a shame. I wish uh, we could have some sort of a device that we could do a what if and see what would have happened. I absolutely agree. And uh, basically, you know, with Sega, uh, you know, around the Genesis era, during the Tom Kalinske era, uh, with the successes of Sega, 
you know, Sega was coming out with all these different hardware uh, technologies and just trying things out and throwing things out there. You know, the 32X, um, the different control mechanisms that they came out with. I can't remember the one with the motion that you put on the floor. Um, but the, uh, you know, the Sega CD, the Saturn, the Dreamcast, all these different things and uh, just throwing them out uh, into the wild. And it was almost kind of like Google at the time where Google was just basically letting their developers come out with different technologies like Google Plus and Google everything and just letting them develop. Um, it It's kind of weird how similar that was as far as in my mind how that works. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. All right, well, thank you for listening to Sega Sound and Shiro. I want to thank uh, Jared, a.k.a. Project CUA, for coming on the podcast. Uh, did you want to plug some of your stuff before we head out? Uh, sure. Uh, just uh, if anyone's looking for some old, and I mean that now quite literally, videos for Saturn or other other classic games, uh, be <laughs> sure to check out youtube.com slash Project COE for a whole bunch of crazy videos on uh, your favorite retro gaming systems and hopefully some new videos in the not too distant future yeah make sure to check uh check out uh pandemonium reviews on youtube and uh check out the sega Saturn shiro on our stuff so youtube podiums wherever podcasts are not sold and yeah uh thank you again for for coming on as a guest and uh thank you for having us do the panel with you i know i really enjoyed talking with tom Kalinsky. i'm speaking for all of us saying that we did as well so oh, yeah. No, thank still you. can't thank you enough, Jared, for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. You don't need to thank me, guys. Thank you for participating. It was a moment we will uh, have in our memories forever. Yes, exactly, and that's and they can't take that away from us, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, unless they delete you, every recording. And if you guys are listening to this podcast, uh, whenever you're listening to it, you sh- and you haven't watched the panel, uh, it will have been uploaded <laughs> by now, and you should go and watch it. Thank you again for listening, and remember, you must play Sega Saturn. Thank you again for listening, and remember, you must play Sega Saturn. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to get some duct tape and duct tape some Ethernet to a wall. And he's out. And he's out. So random. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, that actually is what I have to do in like a little bit. My roommate uh, got Ethernet, and I have to help him duct tape it to a wall. So. Oh, hell yeah.